If you got your Bible, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Man, I'm ready to preach. I'm fired all the way up. It says this, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is a promise from God that if you won't be anxious for anything, we could do a whole series on just do not be anxious for anything. I could dismiss you right now. Just don't be anxious for anything. Go and try that for the rest of the summer. That's a challenging thing, but it doesn't tell us just to not be anxious. It it gives us a formula. Everybody say a formula. It gives us a formula on how to achieve the peace of God in our hearts and in our minds. Now, there's a lot that this verse of scripture is saying, and then there's a lot that it's not saying. And I think that the misinterpretation of scriptures like this are the reason that a lot of people question their faith because they think that it says one thing when that's not what it says. You ever learned a song and you learned it wrong and you confidently sang it wrong. Like you were just going in on your jam. You just sing it and somebody looks at you like, mm-mm, mm-mm. Dang. I'm embarrassed to tell you that I learned a Christmas song that all of y'all know. I don't know why I started singing it wrong, but I started singing it wrong. And I sang it wrong for years. Winter Wonderland. You know that song? Walking in a winter wonderland. Later on we'll perspire. As we dream. It makes makes sense. You perspire by the fire, right? I don't know about y'all. I'm a little hot nature. When I'm beside a fire, I'm like, whoo, I'm perspiring by the fire. And it rhymes, later on, we'll perspire by the fire. But that's not what it says. My family was like, <laughs> you're dumb. That's not what it says. It says, we'll conspire. Later on, we'll conspire by the fire. I don't even know what that word means. I had to look it up. I looked it up. I understand perspire. That makes sense. I looked up conspire. Here's what it means. <clears throat> conspire means to make secret plans jointly to commit an unlawful or harmful act. As in they conspired against him. What kind of Christmas song is this? What kind of family guy? I don't, I, don't I don't want anybody conspiring against me. Perspire, fine. Makes my version makes more sense, y'all. But it doesn't matter how many times I sing it. If it's wrong, it's wrong. I can sing it louder. I can sing it longer. I can make I can make explanation for why my version makes more sense. But that's not what the author said. And there are some of us who will try to make this book say something that it didn't say. And then when it doesn't happen the way that we thought it was going to happen, it creates what I call an expectation gap. And now we believe that God didn't live up to his word. No, he just didn't live up to your expectation of what he was going to do. He didn't say that he was going to do some of the things that you thought he was going to do. He never promised you that he would get you out of every situation. He never said, I love this one. Listen, the Lord will never put on you anything more than you can bear, brother. He'll never give you more than what you can carry. That, that ain't anything God said. Some of you are like, okay, is he in the word? <laughs> Pastor, he's been on a sabbatical. Maybe he's just forgotten the Bible. Because some of us have that as a magnet on our refrigerator, you know? God will never let you have anything more than you can bear. And that, that's in the Bible, but it's not contextually accurate. The context is temptation. 
He will never tempt you or allow you to be tempted. God will never allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear, but he will provide a way of escape. But you'll go through things that'll crush you. Well, if you don't believe me, let me just cite Paul as an example. Paul was in prison. Paul lost his head. Like literally they, they cut his head off. Like God's going to be, that lady laughed really loud about that. Lord, just right now, give her peace in her spirit, Jesus. If you're at North Campus, or you're at West Campus, be glad there's a maniac in that section. I'm kidding, ma'am. I'm sorry. I don't know you. It's my cousin, y'all. She's here. No, the... Listen, John the Baptist, I would love to tell you, he made it through. He didn't make it through. It was more than what he could bear. He died in prison. But he had peace in the midst of pain. Here's what this verse of scripture says. It says, in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will not guard your situation will not get you out of everything that you go to. I'm preaching to somebody on a Sunday morning. Will not take care of all of your problems, but it will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? I'm going to go through pain. I'm going to go through heartache. I'm going to go through tough times. And in the midst of all of that, Jesus Christ is going to be right there with me. Not just saying, I'm going to get you out of everything. He's saying, I'm going to go through it with you. There's an expectation gap sometimes, though, that when we deal with fear, we deal with doubt, we deal with depression, we deal with anxiety. If God doesn't do it exactly like we think he should do it, it causes us to question our faith. We all deal with fears. In fact, some of these fears that people deal with, they're hilarious and terrible. I looked them up. Ablutophobia. It's the fear of washing or bathing. Some of you have that. Just don't raise your hand in worship, okay? Just keep them down, okay? Allodaxophobia is the fear of opinions. What do you think? Don't tell me. Husbands right now are like, say that again. Allodaxophobia. Baby girl, I just, I'm scared of what you think. I have a fear. This is my favorite one. I had to have him put it on a screen. Sesquipedalophobia. That's the fear of long words. That guy's a jerk. Whoever that guy was. He's <laughs> mean, man. You ever been afraid of something like just, we, we all have fear. I remember a few years ago, I, I got invited to go on a missions trip to the war-torn country of Hawaii. I know, I know, guys, come on. You don't have to applaud. Somebody's got to do it, you know? And I was like, here am I, Lord, send me. And I went and it was awesome and we had a great time. And they, and they told me um, after I'd finished, finished speaking, a couple of the guys came up and said, you seem like a very adventurous guy. Would you like to go uh, spearfishing? And I was like, yes. I would, because I like fishing and I love spears. I've never thrown one, but yes, it involves both. I'm in. And so we went to this beautiful beach. It's called Billionaire's Beach on the Big Island. There's only 30 people allowed on this beach at any one time. And the reason it's called Billionaire's Beach is because billionaires own homes everywhere on it. And, and they let us in and, and we went out on the beach and it was amazing. And I was fired up. I, I, listen, I didn't tell them like, because I'm kind of a, like, if you ask me to do something, yes, I'm in. I may not know how to do it, but I'm in. And I'd only been snorkeling like a couple of times, you know what I mean? So I had my snorkel stuff on before we, like right when we got out of the car, I put on the flippers, I put on the mask, I had the snorkel hanging down here, you know, but the mask was over my nose. So every time I breathe, I was like, 
a walk out there and they had a guide for us and the guide was a Puerto Rican guide and, and he was just wild and crazy and he said, okay, 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 guys, listen to me very carefully. It's like, okay. He said, the water that we are getting ready to go into, you need to understand this tiger shark water. He could tell I was nervous. He's like, it's okay, it's okay, preacher, it's okay. We see anything bigger than 10 feet, you let me know, we get out of the water. I was like, bro, if I see a big turtle, I'm going to be Jesus walking on the water, okay? Yo, I couldn't enjoy the trip at all. It was beautiful. I mean, the mountain rising out of the water. The water was so clear. You could see 60 feet down. All I could hear was dun, 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 dun. That's all I could hear. I was like, Jesus, rebuke these sharks right now in the name of Jesus. Put them on him. I don't know where he is, but I've got a purpose in my calling. I couldn't enjoy where I was because I was afraid of something that never happened. I wonder how many of us are living in fear. And maybe when I read the list of fears, you're like, yeah, but I don't have any of those fears. Those are weird fears. But maybe you have one of the following four. Maybe it's a fear of loss. Maybe you're afraid at some points you're going to lose your marriage or you're going to lose your finances or you're going to lose your place in life. Or maybe it's, it's losing your youth or losing your opportunity. Every infomercial that you've ever seen is based on your fear of loss. If you don't act right now, this deal will go away in the next 19 minutes. If you pay $199.99, you get not only one vacuum cleaner, but two vacuum cleaners. Some of you are like, i got to have one right now. That's weird, but the fear of loss, the fear of failure. Fear of failure can paralyze us from starting any new endeavor. I want to start a business, but I'm afraid I'll fail. I want to expand my current business, but I'm afraid it won't work out. I want to go back to school. It's like the guy I talked to, I was like, man, maybe you should go back to school. He's like, I'm 48, you know? I don't know if I can go back to school. It's like, well, in, in four years, you're still going to be 52. You'll just be 52 with a degree. You know what I mean? So might as well go back. But it was, it was this fear of, I don't know if I could do it. I don't know if I could make it through this fear of failure. Reaching out to somebody just for a phone call. Some of us are afraid that it's not going to work out the way we want it to. Listen, if you have the fear of failure, here's, here's your symptoms. Procrastination, excessive anxiety, not following through with goals, low self-esteem, perfectionism, only trying things that you know you can do good at. The fear of failure. Some of us, it's fear of rejection. Afraid that we're going to be rejected by other people. In fact, that's why, how many, where are the single people at? Raise your hand if you're single. Where's the single people at? Just hold them up high, single people. That's what you're working with. Look around. There are people that are afraid. They're afraid to even go talk to somebody. Listen, we, I grew up in the days when you had to have game. You know what I mean? You couldn't Facebook stalk somebody when I was growing up because Facebook wasn't around. You couldn't Snapchat somebody. You had to really chat. You know what I mean? But there are people that are afraid. They're afraid of rejection. Do you realize that I deal with marriages at times that someone is so afraid of rejection that it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy in their own life? I'm afraid that my spouse will reject me or I'm afraid that these people will reject me. So I begin to preemptively reject them. And now it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Maybe it's the fear of the unknown. I don't know what's going to happen in my life. I don't know what's going to, what if I get sick? What if something terrible happens? A while ago, some of y'all were like, I don't have any of those crazy fears. And now you're like, oh dear God, I have all four of those. What a, 
Here's what 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So if you're in here this weekend and you're dealing with fear, here's what I want you to understand. God didn't give you that. God didn't give you that. But he gives you power. He gives you love. He gives you a sound mind. So when you walk out of this room today, you don't have to walk out of this room afraid that something bad's going to happen. You can walk out of this room trusting that God has everything under control. And you walk out of this room with the peace of God that passes. The Bible says it passes understanding. Nobody exemplifies this idea of living with faith in the midst of fear more than David. We find David on the backside of a field watching sheep in the beginning of his life. He will go on to become the greatest king of God's people, the only legitimate royal bloodline. Jesus Christ is born into this bloodline, but that's not where we meet him in the beginning. In the beginning, he's literally forgotten by his own father. The prophet comes to the house of Jesse and says, God's going to choose the next king out of this house. Bring all of your sons. And he brings seven sons. And leaves David in the field. Have you ever been forgotten? That's not a good place to be. You ever found out about the party on Instagram? And like, oh, you guys had a party. Looks fun. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, my bad. We forgot you. I was raised in church, y'all. Church, church. Like I slept under the pew. How many of you guys have ever been in a service that lasted longer than two hours? Just raise your hand. That's, oh, there's some gospel people up in here. Keep them up. Keep them up. Longer than two hours. Longer than three hours. You've been in a service longer than three hours. Longer than four hours. I don't even know why y'all are here. You've already reached your church quota. No. When I was, <laughs> when I was a kid, I mean, I, we would sleep under the pew and it was a, I mean, I could, I could get like full two hours of sleep and wake up and still get a good hour of a sermon in. And I remember one time though, I woke up under the pew. I was about seven. And I rolled out from under the pew and all the lights were off. Ain't nothing scarier than a dark church. You know what I mean? <laughs> like when the lights are on, it's like, oh, the Lord is here. God is here. Our God is an awesome God. Lights are off. It's like, Jesus. <laughs> I woke up, I rolled out from under the pew. I opened my eyes. I looked around. Y'all got to understand. I was raised in like churchy church, like super church. We preached a lot about hell and damnation. A lot about one of these days, God's going to split the eastern sky. The trap door is going to open. You're going to feel the heat. A lot of that. So at the age of seven, I thought the rapture had taken place. I didn't realize my parents had just left me and went to Denny's and forgot your boy under the pew. I was praying, God, forgive me. Take me. Take me now. I didn't realize at that young tender age that if the rapture had taken place, there'd be a whole lot of people still sitting out there with me. I'm sorry. <laughs> Don't laugh at that, guys. Come on. It's not funny. David's, David's forgotten. But whenever he comes into the house, the prophet says, this is, this is God's anointed. And he anoints him to become the king. Fast forward, we find him delivering food to his brothers who are on the front lines of a battle with the Philistines. And, and there's a giant in the valley and he's screaming obscenities at the people of God. And David rolls up. Everybody's afraid. All of his brothers, everybody's hiding. All of the men who were trained for this are hiding behind, behind trees and behind rocks. And David shows up and he's like, hey guys, I brought your pimento cheese sandwiches. I'm here, toasted the bread for you, Eli. It's just here for you. And he hears this giant screaming at the people of God. And he freaks out. 
He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he would defy the armies of God? David. That language is going to end up in the Bible. You sure you want to say that? What he was saying is, who is this man who is not authorized to speak against the armies of God? Who is this man? Instead of worrying about himself, he's worrying about the glory of God. At some point, instead of cowering in fear, you have to face the giant. Turn to somebody next to you and say, face the giant. You have to face the giant. And David decides to do what nobody else is doing. David is going to face the giant in all of his weakness In his youth, he's going to face the giant. Some of us have outgrown battle. Let me preach to somebody today who feels the veteran mentality. Like I'm a veteran. I've been there. I'm talking to somebody right now. I didn't plan on saying this, but I think I'm talking to somebody. God's placed you in a church that knows how to pray. God's placed you in a church that knows how to get after it. And I believe that your latter days are greater than the former days, pastor. I believe God's going to do more, more amazing things in this church. I believe, here's what I believe, pastor. I I believe that guys like me are going to flock to you because we need to learn how you do what you do. And one of the reasons why this church has been a great church is because of Wednesday night, is because of Monday, is because this is a church that knows how to pray. Get on the ground, pound the ground and pray. You come to the right place. I don't know what your giant is. It's probably not, it's probably not a, a guy in a, in a valley with a sword screaming at you. If it is, call the popo. But maybe, maybe it's, it's bills you can't pay and It's grades you can't make and people you can't please and a marriage you can't seem to fix or a career that you can't find any way to advance. Maybe it's a past you can't get past or a future that you can't face. I don't know what your giant is, but at some point you got to face the giant and you have to learn how to convert your fear into faith. How do you convert your fear into faith? You have to change your perspective. Everybody say perspective. You have to look at it differently. You have to look at, at how, how David looked at things and how his brothers looked at things. His brothers are scared to death and David comes in with swagger. Why? Because he wasn't worried about himself. He was worried about God's glory. Sometimes we just live for us, our story, and not God's glory. What if I stopped living for me and I started living for God and saying, God, whatever you want to accomplish in this world, use me to do it. Whatever you want to accomplish in my marriage, use me to do it. Whatever you want to accomplish in my family, whatever you want to accomplish in our area, use me to do it instead of God, why about this and why me and why here and why now and why? What if we started saying, Lord, what can you, what can you do through me? When you gain a different perspective, We call it maturity. How many of you guys have kids? You have kids? You ever have that moment where your kids are like, it's not fair. It's not fair. I remember that. Jaden, I love you, baby girl. She's 17 now, but I remember when they were kids, they were like, dad, can we have an allowance? And I was like, no. It's not fair. I was like, yes, it's fair. Okay, I'll give you an allowance. I'll allow you to live here. allow you to stay in my house. What am, what am I doing? I'm trying to change their perspective. I'm trying to teach them something. Why? Because I don't want them to get 18 or 21 or whenever they decide to leave the house and realize there is no allowance. <laughs> Nobody's going to show up every week and be like, here's your money. 
No, you actually have to work to earn that. My dad taught me the same thing. He made me mow the yard. We had four and a quarter acres growing up. I had to mow the yard. And if I didn't do it right, he made me do it again. And as I got older, I was like, I want to get paid. He was like, all right, mow it again. I'll pay you. He paid me in pesos. Literally pesos that he had gotten on a missions trip. I was like, how am I going to use these? He was like, it's incentive for you to go to Mexico someday and do great things for the kingdom. Like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> but, it, but it taught me. It changed my perspective. David is not looking at himself. He's looking at God's glory. Now, there are three facts that were rooted in fear that we can talk about. Number one, David is smaller than the giant, obviously. Smaller than the giant. Maybe that's where you are. You're smaller than the thing in front of you. The second thing is his brothers are against him. Isn't it weird how sometimes whenever you declare a dream that God has given you, that sometimes the people that attack you the most are the church people? Maybe I should have said that. But I believe that sometimes God uses good opposition to teach you and to train you because you can't grow without resistance. And if I can talk you out of your dream, you probably wouldn't have done it anyway. And he faces the opposition of his brothers. Literally, his brothers look at him and go, who are you? You're not going to fight the giant. What's wrong with you? Go back and watch the sheep. Literally, there's some sheep calling right now like, David, come back. We hear them right now. Don't laugh at stuff like that. It's dumb. <laughs> his brothers are against him. And the third fact rooted in fear is he's alone. He's all by himself. But just because it's true doesn't mean it's right. When I don't have all of the facts, sometimes I'll react the wrong way. I remember one time being in the house and my wife screamed, like, ah, screamed. I came in with all my kung fu karate. I couldn't get to my gun yet, so I just, I just came in ready to fight. She was like, he rolled over. Jackson rolled over. I was like, well, scream, he rolled over. My son rolled over next time. Don't be just like, ah. Come in red. I, I was exhausted. It took a year off my life just getting down the hall. I didn't have all the information, so I reacted wrong. And sometimes the enemy will give you information that is not rooted or, or, or founded in the Word of God. And I will react in fear rather than in faith. But the last time I checked, this book says that God is going to be with me no matter what I go through. He's going to be there, that I can trust Him. You ever. You ever thought about what it feels like to be wrong? In fact, let's, what does it feel like to be wrong? What? Say it louder. Embarrassing. Embarrassing. What else? Foolish. What else? Terrible. And let me tell you, those are good answers. They're wrong answers. <laughs> Somebody's like, mm, no, that's what I've been wrong before and that's what it feels like. You're, no, you're describing what it feels like to find out that you're wrong. But what it feels like to be wrong is right. Because you'll argue a point that is not right. Husbands, come on, you're with me, right? You've been in the middle of a fight and in the middle of it, you realize she right. But you're not going to tell her right off, you know, you're going to change the subject. You're like tacos, tacos, let's go get tacos, you know. When you're wrong, it feels right. And there are some of us that are wrong about the situation in front of us, but we feel like we're right. You feel like God has rejected you. You feel like God has abandoned you. You feel like the thing in front of you is greater than what you can deal with. And I can tell you this, you may, you may, you may feel like that's right, but it's not. 
You can look at the opposite facts rooted in faith in David's situation. Yes, David is smaller than the giant, but his God is bigger than the giant. Yes, his brothers are against him, but his God is for him. Yes, he's alone, but his God is with him. Just because it looks right doesn't mean that it is. And I don't know what situation you're facing, but I do know that the God that's inside of you is greater than the giant that's in front of you. And you've got to start trusting that he knows what he's doing and he can give you peace in the midst of pain. If God be for us, who can be against us? At some point, you just got to learn how to fight. I remember sleeping under a pew one time in church as a kid. My mom was out of town. My dad was preaching up on stage. He's a pastor. And I was trying to get some good rest in the house of the Lord. And there was this dude sitting on the front row right above me, right above where my head was. And he was one of those guys who always got excited about the preaching of the word. And he would say, amen. And he would throw his foot back. And every time he threw his foot back, he would kick me in the head. And I was praying, Lord, I bind this spirit right now in Jesus name. The spirit of violence against me, Lord. And I finally noticed, like, while this guy was, while this guy was, Amanda, Amanda. I'm like, Amanda, Amanda ain't even like that. Amen, bro. Not Amanda. Who's Amanda? The girls in the church are like, what? You know, it's weird. And I noticed that his shoes were these nice lace-up Oxfords. And those, those laces were, they were divided. And in the kingdom, we need to be unified, folks. We need... We need to be unified. So I began to meticulously unify those laces and tie them together. <clears throat> I was like, hey, if you're going to kick, you're going to kick. It's going to be weird. I never anticipated that his next move would be to stand and get with the preacher. And he did. He was like, Amanda. And he fell <clears throat> and he hit the ground. The problem is I was in kind of a quasi Pentecostal charismatic church. People didn't think he fell. They thought he fell out. They were like, amen. He was like, let me go. They were like, let him go, Lord. He's like, now set me free. Set him free, Jesus. <laughs> At some point, you got to fight what's coming against you, right? <laughs> now, what's funny about this whole thing is my dad at first defended me because this dude turned around and just started punching me. And then my dad realized what had happened. He was like, I'll take care of you later on. Your parents ever tell you they're going to take care of you? That ain't the right definition. You ever looked up the definition of the word care? Whatever they were saying, that ain't the right. I was scared of care bears for years. But here's what's beautiful. The Bible says that God is going to be with us, even in our failures and our mistakes. And maybe you're saying, but you don't know what I've been through. You don't know the mistakes that I've made. Here's what I can tell you. You don't realize the God that we serve. Just because you made a single mistake doesn't mean it's your final mistake. Yes, when my father realized that I was an idiot and that I had brought all of that pain on myself, he could have disowned me. Ha, don't come home. But he didn't. He loves me. In fact, my dad took off. He's a pastor. And he travels and preaches and he took off this Easter so that he could be with us at Easter. Why? Because he wanted to cheer me on. Even though I made a lot of mistakes as a kid. He's still there for me. You have a heavenly father who looks past your pain, who looks past your mistakes, who looks past your mess ups, who looks past your failures and loves you in spite of them. Some of us are writing ourselves out of a plan that God's trying to walk us into. Sometimes the biggest fear that you deal with is the fear that God won't forgive you. And that's not the problem is that you haven't forgiven yourself. 
David went on to defeat the giant and become a great king. But he still had mistakes and failures. The reason he was a man after God's heart is because he was a man after God's heart all the time. Some of us downsize God to the size of our biggest problem. Thomas Jefferson loved the teachings of Jesus. In fact, he said they are the most sublime and benevolent code of morals ever known to man. But he just didn't agree with the miracles. So he took the New Testament, took him a few nights. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he took the Gospels and he cut out all of the miracles. Jesus walking on water, water to wine, all of the miracles. He cut all of the miracles out. And what you have is the life and teachings of Jesus Christ of Nazareth or the Jefferson Bible. And it's a Bible with no power. And you and I would say, that's insane. You can't have Jesus without the miracles. The miracles are are actually what proves who he is. But many of us live cut and paste Christianity every day of our lives. We'll believe for somebody else, but when it comes to us, it's a challenge. I submit to you that I believe God has brought you to a house of faith that is just crazy enough to believe that this book is true and that God can do what he said that he can do. So no matter what you're facing, he's with you. Deuteronomy says he goes before you. Psalms 23 says the goodness and mercy follow you. You're surrounded either, either way you put it. Like it or not, he's with you. And he may not deliver you out of everything, but he will be in everything with you. So how do I get filled with faith? I'll close with this. Psalm 37 and 4 gives us a formula. Delight yourself in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. This is an often misquoted verse of scripture because people believe that he's just going to give me whatever I want. But when you look at that word give... When I delight myself in the Lord, which means when I make myself pliable or moldable in his hands, he'll give me the desires of my heart. That word give in the Hebrew means to grant, but it also means to bestow or place. So you could read it like this. When I delight myself in the Lord, he will place his desires in my heart. It'll no longer be just what I want, but I'll begin to want what he wants. He wants great things for you. This is why we do this revival. You know why? Because he wants your friends to be saved. He wants you to be a bringer. But I don't know if they'd like it. Just get them in here. And let let God do a work. Save them all. Let God sort them out. He's reaching for people. He's reaching for you. how How do I delight myself in the Lord? Three things. First, you got to pray. You got to pray. And we're a part of a church that prays. Let me, let me show you what I'm talking about. Can you, can you bring me those branches real quick? Prayer is so important. Which one of these is alive? Which one? This one or this one? This one's alive. You think this one's alive? And this one? No, actually, both of them are dead. This one just doesn't know it yet. It's just been disconnected for a shorter amount of time than this one. This is why you need to come to prayer. That's why you need to be a part of prayer. Because there are many of us who used to look a little bit like this. And we actually thought we were better than that guy. But when we're disconnected from prayer, we're disconnected from God. And you can't grow disconnected. Got to pray. The second thing that you have to do is you got to move forward in faith. Move forward in faith. 
Well, how do I move forward in faith? Our church is very simple. Go to Grow Track. Go to Grow Track. Well, I don't know about all that. You're going to learn a lot in Grow Track about you and about how God can operate through you and then get on the dream team. When I get on the dream team, I'm, I'm beginning to move forward in faith. And then finally, trust God. Trust God. Trust God. Turn to somebody next to you and say, trust God. This is not an easy thing for me to preach this weekend. I've never preached this at another church ever. But I felt it for here. Because I believe that somebody has been walking through pain. And you thought that God would radically deliver you out of it. And he's actually stepped into it with you. I have a friend who was in college. And he was in a college math course. I rebuke that. I remember when my kids were in elementary school and they changed math. They changed math. Like my kids were like, here, dad, here's the problem. It's like, okay, here's the answer. They're like, no, you're doing it wrong. I was like, no, I'm not doing it wrong. We've done it like that forever. And they're like, no, you wanted to do it this way. And I was like, that's insane. He was in college math and it was really hard. And finally the professor realized that how hard that he had made this class. And he said, he said, look, I know I've made it hard. He said, so, so for your exam, I'm going to give you a formula sheet and I'm going to make it an open book take home test. I want you to do well in this class. My buddy went home. He took the test. He got an A. He came back and the professor came in and he slammed papers down on the desk. And he said, I don't understand this. More than 50% of you failed this test. I gave you the formula. You just didn't do the math. It was an open book, take home test. You had everything you needed. You just didn't exercise what you had access to. Here's what I'm trying to tell you, James River. It's an open book, take home test. You have everything that you need to get through this storm that you're in right now. You just got to learn how to pray. You just got to learn how to trust God in the midst of things. You've just got to learn how to move forward in faith. He's going to be with you. Trust, trust the peace that passes. All understanding will guard your hearts and your minds. Will you stand with me across all of our campuses? I want to pray for you. Bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment.